memory of Jared Orchen, and today we're learning the Aftora Parshas Tazria, page 1431. This Aftora is in the Book of Kings, and it's a part of a whole series of stories about the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a prophet, a whole prophet. Never anybody had problems. He went to Elisha, Elisha made miracles. No problem, what do you need? The water in Jericho are, 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 I mean, like poison? We'll fix it. Whatever needs to be taken care of, he's taken care of. It was like a type of a Moses type of prophet. You see, the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were prophets who were giving more lectures. They were lecturing the Jewish people, prophesying, don't do this, do this. Elisha was, he was a prophet of the people. People were at Soros, they had a hard time. They came to him, he helped them. He took care of business. <coughs> it's a prophet that we like. He was a leader, he, was, he, was, he lived among his people. Now here comes a very interesting story. Because the Parsha, Tazria, speaks about leprosy, then the Aftorah speaks also about leprosy. But before that, there is a little piece, a little piece that speaks before that about a little miracle that the prophet made. We'll start at the beginning, and we'll go from there. A man came from Balshalisha, and he brought bread from the first harvest to Elisha, the man of God, 20 loaves of barley bread and fresh grain still in its husk in a sack. Elisha said, Give it to the people to eat. His servant asked. Okay, then first of all, a man came and brought to Elisha bread. He brought to the prophet. He didn't bring it to the people. But Elisha had a big yeshiva there. They were called Bnei Anevim, the disciples of the prophet. He had to feed them. You need to understand that it was a time that was a famine in Israel. It was a hard time in Israel at that time. And he brings them from the first crop probably. Then he told them, give it to the people and to eat. Go ahead. The servant asked, how can I give this to a hundred men? It's simply not enough. Mm -hmm. Elisha said, give it to the people to eat, for God said they will eat and have food left over. See, the old team that goes by Elisha in this Torah, and in, by Elisha in general is, if the prophet tells you something, just do it. Don't be a chacham. Don't ask questions. Don't question. Oh, but that's not going to be enough. The prophet says it's going to be enough, it's going to be enough. If it's going to work out, if, if, if a tzaddik says it's going to be, if the rabbi says something, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Don't argue, don't say, oh, it's going to happen, and who, and what, and where. Just do it. Okay, he says, if Hashem says it'll be enough, and be left over. He placed the food before them, and they ate. There was food left over, just as God had said. Just as God had said. This is a little story from chapter 4 in the book of Kings that kind of puts us in the mood for the next real big story. Okay, go, let's, let's start with the... Why do you think they included this story to start with? What do you think the significance is? I, I really, I don't know why, why. It's maybe because the concept of starting with a positive thing. Maybe. That's a good question. I don't know why in the after they start from from the end of chapter four and go into chapter five. Rabbi, <coughs> the, the king at this time was? Yehoram, if I remember correct, yeah. The son of Ahab. 
Ed was a bad guy, and his king son was not much better than them. This is the, the, the bad time of the... Yeah, yeah, one yeah. One king was good and the rest were rotten or something. Well, most of them were Tobo. The, the kings of Israel, you need to understand, that in Shomron, in Samaria. It's all... These Elisha. are the northern... Yeah, these are all northern Yeah, the, 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 it's the ten tribe, the kingdom of the ten tribe, not the kingdom of David, and it's not Judah. Not the kingdom of Judah, but the kingdom of the ten tribes. And the ten tribes were north? Ten tribes were north, and they were all bad kings. <laughs> Most of them, yeah. And did they have any? Well, well yeah, the, 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 the end. And the, even even the bad king, it's it's very it's complicated. It's not so black and white as usual. They were yeah, they were all uh, some of them were, were fighting the idols, but allowed the big two idols to continue. Some of them, you need to understand, even when you want to fight the idols, if the people are not on your page, even if you want to fight, you cannot fight. I mean. It's this, is a, this is the same prophet that did the, 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 there's more left over, like with the uh, oil and the woman? Yes, yes, yes. Story? Is that in here? It's Alicia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the same like guy. Yes, good. No, it, it's another after we learned it, but he's a good guy. It's good stories, Alicia. <laughs> Alicia made a lot of big, big miracles. Alicia was a real rabbi. Okay, now comes the real story. Naman, commander of the king of Aram's army was respected by his master and greatly honored by the people. For God had granted victory to Aram through him. Okay, who is Aram? Aram is Syria. Aram was the strongest army in the Middle East. And everybody was afraid of them. They were like the superpower of the Middle East. And, Aram, and, and Naaman was the commander-in-chief of the army. It was a king in top of him, but Naaman was the commander-in-chief. Commander and they made Tzoros to the Jewish people on a regular basis. Then here is a story about Naaman. And he was an important person, and everybody respected him in the Middle East. Go ahead. He was strong and was willing to fight at any time, but he was unable to do so because he was a Tzoros sufferer. Tzoros will come again many times here. For some reason, they didn't want in this translation to translate about leprosy. They used Tsaras, probably because, they don't, because people think leprosy is a name for a regular sickness. And Tsaras is a biblical sickness. It's not a sickness that comes, he call, go to the doctor for. It's a, when God is not happy with a person, he gives, them, he gives them this kind of leprosy. In the time of the Bible, it's not only for speaking Loshonara, for every bad thing God gives the person Tsaras. There is Tsaras for, for kings who try to enter the Holy Temple, there is Tsaras for many things. If God is not happy with you, if, you, if a person gets a Tzoraz, he knows God is not happy with you. He's not happy with them. That's why they didn't translate it. They left the word Tzoraz, but it means leprosy. Is, is there a connection between Tzoraz and Saras? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a colloquialism. Is it a, a play on words, or is it the same derivative? Same word? It's... it's to say that it's the same roots, it's not. It's not the same. No. Tzarot and Tzarat is not the same word. It's almost, but not the same. Um, no, it's not the same, but, but many people compare it, yeah. <laughs> if you have Tzoras, you have Tzoras. <laughs> I can tell you that. Okay. Why, why God why got the leprosy? Here comes the, the real explanation. Why God leprosy? Why this big army general got leprosy? His name was Aram. His name was Naaman. Aram is the name of the country of the of the of the of, of Syria. The name of the of the of the general who got leprosy. His name is Naaman. Okay. 
when the Aramites had gone out in raiding parties, they had captured a young girl from the land of Israel who became Nanaman's wife's servant. She that they captured the Jewish girl. When you capture a good Jewish girl, you get Tzoraz. <laughs> Simple as that. Don't start up. Don't make Tzoraz. She told her mistress... If and my... she became one little girl, one girl. She became the servant of the general. Obviously, she was something unique. Okay. Sort of almost like uh, Yosef. Yes, yes, yes. It's a Esther, very similar yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She told because her... she's this little girl bought... But relief to the Jewish people. You're right, I didn't think about it, but it's like the same cycle. She told her mistress, if my master's request will be brought before the prophet in Shamran, Shamran then he will cure him of the, his sores. It is an interesting thing. A little girl, a young girl, she's a, she's a captive, and she shouldn't try to help her master. She can think if he will die, will be, she'll be released. But she didn't think like this. She told his wife, tell, tell the master that there is a prophet in Israel. There is a, there is a prophet in Israel. She, every little child in Israel knew that there is a prophet, Elisha, and he makes miracles. Send a letter to the Rebbe, you'll be cured. Let him go to the, to, the, to the prophet. Okay, and he will cure him. Simple as that. She had a simple belief in God and in the tzaddikim. That if a tzaddik will, will give her a blessing, the prophet will give her a blessing, he'll be cured. Okay. E Naaman. <coughs> Went and told his master, the king, saying, The girl from the land of Israel told me this, etc. The king of Aram replied, Go and approach the prophet. I will send a letter to the king of Israel telling him to instruct the prophet to cure you. Okay, no, your name is Naaman, but you suffer, you're ready to do anything, right? Then, uh, then Naaman goes, he goes to the king, he has to get permission. He tells the king, basically, your enemies in Israel, they have a prophet who can cure people. He says, I will send a letter to the king to take care of it. You go, better, sure, I need you. But he writes a letter. And Naaman goes with the letter. Okay, continue. Uh, Naaman left, taking 10 talents of silver, 6,000 gold shackles, and 10 items of clothing with him as a gift for the prophet. Okay, he says he's coming. He will make it worthwhile for the prophet to, to make the miracle. You have to pay. No, nothing is for free, right? Okay, continue. He wrote the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have him of his terrors, thinking that the king would probably... No, no, you skipped this. Did I have, I have my sent my servant, Naaman, to you that you should add... To heal. To heal him of his terrors, thinking that he king would understand for himself that he should instruct the prophet of heal Naaman. Okay, he sent him a letter. He told him when the letter comes, when the person brings you the letter, you make sure you cure the person of, of, of Tzoraz, of the leprosy. But he didn't tell him 
sent them to the king, to the prophet, to cure him from leprosy. The letter is to the king. Naaman shows up with a letter from the king of Aram, who tells them, the person brings you the letter, you better cure him. The king was believed that if every little girl knows that the, the prophet can help him, the king on his own will turn to the prophet and order the prophet to help this boy, this man. But he didn't say it clearly in the letter, you understand? And what happened? What was the reaction of the king? But, but when the king of Israel read the letter, the prophet did not even enter did not his mind. even enter his mind since he did not really believe in the prophet and thought that the king of Aram was asking him to heal Naaman himself. He rent his clothes. So what is happening here? He gets a letter. The king, every child in Israel believed in Elisha. One person didn't. More than one person, the king. You know, why the king didn't believe in Elisha? Why didn't enter his mind? What do you think? He was the king. So? How should he believe in God? <laughs> if he believes in Elisha, he's yes, signing an important check. And if Elisha tomorrow says you have to go to show that Elisha was the man of God. These kings were idol worshippers. Yeah. They rather not believe in Elisha and not get any miracles and suffer than believe in the prophet. Believing in the prophet means accepting the rules of God. You have to observe Judaism, you cannot worship idols. It's not a, it's not a deal he's ready to do. That he rather become an atheist. He doesn't believe in it. He, doesn't, he believes in idols. He doesn't you see, non-Jews, you speak to them about God, there is no problem. Anytime. Every Jew, every Chochem is an atheist. Why? Because for a, for a non-Jew, if he believes in God, that's fine. God doesn't request too much of a non-Jew. Non Just be a good person. Be honest. Be fair. Be uh, a mensch. And finish. A Jew, if he believes in God, <laughs> 630 commitments. It's much, the evil inclination of the Jew much more pushes him to say that he doesn't believe in God. Because if you believe in God, it's a big, it's a big check to sign. Where an Andrew has no power. Here's the same thing. The king said and he thinks, oh, what do you want from me? He didn't even enter his mind, Elisha. Elisha in the king's mind didn't exist. Not that he didn't know that he exists. In his mind, he's nothing. He's a nobody. He hears me, he goes, ah, nothing. That's a joke. Who cares? Then what is he doing when he gets a letter from the strongest army in the Middle East? The king of the strongest king in the Middle East. Cure this man or else. He got scared. What he did, he rent his cloth. Go ahead. Me? Yeah. Uh, After the parentheses. Uh, he rent his cloth. He rose in flight and said, and said uh, Am I God? Who can kill or restore to life that he sends someone to me to cure him of its source? He is obviously seeking a pretext to come and fight against me. Suddenly he rent his clothing, he's all moaning. He says, what is going on here? I'm not, I'm not God. I don't know what he wants from me. He's renting his cloth. What is really happening here? Hashem, when he's doing something, this little girl, is reminding so many people that there is a God. Mm -hmm. Number one, 
even here in Naaman and his king will learn that there is a God. That the God of Israel is the true God, as we're going to see later on. But on the way, we are fixing a few other people, like the king of Israel, who's trying to deny God. And now, because of the non-Jew, Nebach, he has to, he has to start to believe and to turn to the prophet. He has no choice. But some, sometimes the world makes you to believe in God, even if you don't want to. The non-Jewish world will force the Jew to do the right thing. So this is the story before Jonah then, basically. Before what? Before Jonah. It's before Jonah, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's another story like Jonah that the, that the Gentile world believes in God, yes. It was because it's a part of the Jewish, of the responsibility of the Jews to bring to believe of God to the rest of the world. Not, up, not only upon us, not only for us, but we have to share it with the rest of the world. And this is a perfect example. And, by the way, the Jewish king will have to believe to Nebuch. He will also have to, to start to believe in God. Okay, then Elisha. Well, Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes. He sent a messenger to the king, saying, Why have you rent your clothes? Let him, not Haman, come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Oh! First of all, it's very similar to the story of the Megillah. He heard that he rent his clothes. The renting the clothes was also by, by Mordechai. And Esther heard that he rent his clothes and she sent him a messenger. Yeah. Very similar. But the, here the prophet tells the king, sends a messenger to the king, well, well, why are you getting all worked up? Let him come and he will know that Yeshna be Israel. There is a prophet in Israel. There is somebody who can speak in the name of God and somebody that God empowers them to make miracles. From time to time, Hashem shows miracles in the world to remind the world that there is a God. During the time of the prophet, it was a lot. But even today, from time to time, we see such unbelievable things that we see that there is a God. I mean, Antebi was one perfect example. Then they were totally saved the whole plane. It was beyond anybody's imagination. But even when when, when the plane who landed on the Otzen River, remember oh, a few yeah. years ago? Mm-hmm. And nobody was hurt. That's beyond a miracle. I mean, this, is, mm-hmm. this could end up the opposite. The natural way, everybody would have to be killed. That, that nobody, no, not a, a person got a scratch, that's beyond belief. Or the Watery Nine missiles in the Persian Gulf, the first Persian Gulf War, that, that uh, nobody was killed in Israel. Terry Nine missiles in Tel Aviv. I mean, from time to time, Hashem shows the world that he runs the world. And that's exactly what he says. He says, let them come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Yesh Navi be Israel. Okay, number 11. Uh, are we on nine? No, 11. Oh. Nine. No, nine? Nine. Oh, I'm nine. sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to tell him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your healthy skin will be restored to you, and you will be ritually pure. And, and Elisha didn't even want to look at him. He didn't even welcome him to his office. He sent him out his shamash outside. Soon we'll read about his shamash, Gehazi. And he told them, go to the water of the Jordans and wash yourself. Can a Gentile become ritually pure? The actually... What does that mean? 
What's your ritual you for? You what told them, and you purify, you purify yourself. Ritually, race. pure. This pure. You told them pure. Tara, it means purity, yes. Whatever it means, yeah. He told, ah? Uh, how did Elisha uh, even know what his illness was? Obviously, he said that he has, he has leprosy. That's why he came to Israel. That's why he came to the king. That's why the king fell apart. That's why he told the king, send them to me. I'll take care of it. Why he told him, send them to me? It was a power to show him that's coming from God. Even if he didn't see him, why he needed to tell him, send them to me? To What's leprosy? leprosy his leprosy comes from oddiness, from, from being uh, uh, full, full of yourself. Arrogance. And coming to the, to the prophet was another mm. step of humbleness for Naaman. Mm. Standing outside the door, he didn't want to see him. Well, it's, a, it's a spiritual ailment, leprosy. Sure, he spoke about that. Then there is a Hasidic story about a Hasid, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the disciples of the Maggid of Mezrich went, I think it was to the Alter Rebbe, came in middle of the night, and, and he knocked on his window, he tells them, who is it? He told them, it's me. In Yiddish, me is ich. Told them ich, ich doesn't go. If you still talk about ich, then you don't. You, I, I, I don't let. I don't let in ichs. People will, talk, will say me. So if it's about me, they are not coming in. This disciple turned around. He said, "I didn't learn anything yet." He went back to message. Understand? Goy Naaman, the, the most glorious general of the Middle East, coming to the prophet of Israel. First of coming to the king. The king sent him to the prophet. For me today, it's almost a bureaucracy. Comes to the prophet, the prophet doesn't want to see him. He says, go to the river. Why the prophet did it? First of all, because Hashem told him. But like, one explanation we can say is because the prophet didn't want him to think that he is the one who cures him. The prophet wanted him to know it's coming from Hashem, pure God. Not him. He didn't want him. Because you see from the answer, from Naaman's <coughs> reaction, you see what Naaman expected, and that's exactly what the prophet didn't want to, to him to have. Let's see number 11. Why, why does he pick the Jordan River? Is that the, the concept of the mikvah, basically? Well, it's, it's a pure falling water. Pure water. It's water, but why Jordan? Why, why, why not the Kinneret water? What am I asking? <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, why, did, why does he pick the Jordan? It's a flowing river as opposed to a lake. That's what the question mode was, you know. But, but I guess, does he know. pick, is, is this the foundation for the concept of the mikveh, having flowing natural water? Um, if this is the foundation, I mean, I'll tell you, the mikveh is written in the Torah. We don't have to go to the prophets. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that's for sure part of the same idea. But Naaman was asking the same question that you're asking. You want to continue to read? Naaman became angry and walked off. Here I was thinking that he'll come out in my honor stand before me respectfully, and in order to cure me, he'll call out in the name of God, his God, and he'll wave his hand towards the afflicted area, and I, the Tsarist sufferer, would miraculously be healed. He thought to come out a miracle maker, and he will do like this, <laughs> in his end, and he will pray to God, and he will charge him, and be done. That's exactly because he expected it. You see why why Elisha didn't want to do it. First of all, you don't come with a preconceived notion to God. Leave all your preconceived notions at home and come with a fresh head, with a white paper, with, a, with, with an attitude of humbleness. Whatever God will say that I'm going to do. 
if you come with, a, with an agenda, you cannot, if you are full of a certain, if you have expectations, you can never grasp the excitement of the place. You cannot be inspired. Inspiration comes only when you come from a sense of, of emptiness. You come, you're ready to hear. If you have, oh, Pauli, I'm going to hear this, I'm going to see this, you kill that. And he, he had a whole, a whole thing in his mind, what is going to happen, and suddenly it doesn't go by his plan. He got all worked up. And look what he says for them, continue. Art, Amana, and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, am always washing here, and yet am I pure of Cyrus? He turned away and left in anger. Here came a patriotic argument. Oh, <laughs> the waters of Jordan, the little water. Who was it, the Jordan River lately? You were you in the Jordan River? Yeah. How much water is there? Little. Maybe for, <laughs> maybe enough for a mikveh, huh? Yeah. Gunished. Yeah. You tell you tell this guy, you tell Naaman, the Jordan River. It's a joke. He's making building can have a, a little boat to take a mm -hmm. a canoe. He cannot do that. And he says. I'm going to Jordan River. We have, in, we have Damascus. We have rivers. It's an insult. If I, I'm, I'm a man of Damascus, huh? I don't need the rivers here. But he was asking, it's, if it's about water, then I have better waters. It's about listening to God, not about the waters. And that's what that's a, he was fighting the concept that he has to accept that this is the prescription that God gives him. And doesn't make a difference if it, if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. You have better water, I have worse water. It's not about the water that you have. That's what God wants. You know, a mikveh should be very clean. And thank God all the mikvehs today are very clean. A mikveh in Son Chabad, with a beautiful mikveh, shining, the water are amazing. But in essence, the why making this introduction, you shouldn't think that it's not clean. But in essence, a dairy mikveh purifies you. And the biggest and the best shower doesn't purify you. Cleans you up or doesn't purify you. Why? Because that's what Hashem said. What's a mikveh? A mikveh, you go into the water and you put down your head underneath. It's a, it's a matter of humbleness. The word tvila, tvila means to, to, to toivel, to immerse yourself in the water. The word litvol, toivel, and the word bitul, bitul means nullification, is the same letters just rearranged. The whole concept of going to the mitve, mikveh is about humbleness. He just told that he was in the mikveh of the Arizal. The mikveh of the Arizal is in Tzfat. And in Tzfat there is, it's a place where there, uh, um, we, we were there, I think. Yeah. And, and, uh, and in, the, in this mikveh, it was, there, there's a tradition, the Arizal, it's a stream of water that goes from the mountain. And they build like a little house there. And the mikveh there, it's because it's pure, it's fresh water constantly. It's very cold water. You go there, you get an experience of humbleness, first class. <laughs> it's so cold that you come out alive from there. You thank God. The Ari mikveh, oh, that's a pure. And besides, the steps are not so safe, and you go there, down you. You just pray you come out. <laughs> but it's very clean water. It's very. It's, it's I, fresh I, water. You can drink it. It's, it's, it constantly comes new water. I have a question. If, if, if Naaman, Naaman, if yeah. he, if he um, knew that he had this tsar, sarat. sarat, 
and he did he know that this was a um, a disease from God? Not necessarily. He didn't know it. But he knows he is sick, and he knows there is a magic maker in Israel, and he comes to the magic maker, and he's waiting for all like all the magic maker coming to do some magic in him, and 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 that's it. What are you telling me? Giving me orders? Go to the river and immerse yourself. It was not a part of his plan. That's not what he expected. Let's put it. Let's put it this way. Do we see any other uh, rabbinic accounts of going to, to the Jordan for purification of, of any sort? Do In the Jordan see specifically? Any other rabbinic accounts? First of all, I don't know all the rabbinic accounts. <laughs> um, going to the Jordan River to to nurses of May out, and I don't think so. But maybe, May, you know any any stories of the Arden? No, he doesn't know. <laughs> he also doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. One more question. We'll go when, when, um, when Noah went into the ark, was mm -hmm. there an expression similar to immersing or tether? We say that the whole idea of the, of the marble, the flood, was 40 days and 40 nights, right? The mikveh is 40, 40 cubits days. of water. We say that the flood was uh, taking the wall to the mikveh. It was a serious mikveh. <laughs> we don't want another mikveh like this. You won't get one. Uh -huh. It was promised not to have another one like that. You're right, but this was the, the same idea of a mikveh, but it's not. They didn't talk in the, God didn't tell him you're taking the wall to the mikveh, no. Okay, what happened? He, he was anger. He left it anger, in anger. We are in number 13 at the bottom of the page. Go ahead, it's your turn. His servants approached him and spoke to him. They said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? All the more so when he tells you an easy thing. Wash and you become pure. You should listen. They told them, you already made all the way. You came from around. It's not, it's not a shame. You came all the way. You made, made the trip. No, listen to him. What are you arguing? No, I'm not going to devil. Give it a chance, maybe. Even for a maybe it's watered. Okay. Now, Naaman went and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan as the man of God had told him. His skin returned to be like the skin of a young child, and he was pure at Sarath. Guess what? When you listen to what Hashem says, it works. He immersed himself in the mikveh, he became pure in the, in the Jordan River, and his skin became like a little child. Well, let me ask you another question then. <laughs> Since he was not Jewish, he didn't have to like go out of the camp for like seven days. Like, no, it wasn't. It, was it wasn't quick. about it was like, the camp. It was <laughs> no, no. The, you see, in the parsha of the week, we read about the Cohen who pronounced what is leprosy, and he he locks up the person, he coatings the person, and so on. What the difference did the Cohen and the prophet? The Cohen pronounced you as a leopard. The prophet cures you from leprosy. Well, they need somebody to tell me that I'm a leopard. What the good is this way? The prophet cured them from leprosy. No, it wasn't about locking him up. It was about curing him. It was about showing the most powerful person in the Middle East that there is a God. That's what it was all about. That was the whole agenda. In Anderot, educating the Jewish king too, by the way, if you can have a side benefit. Yeah? Does Naaman, does that mean anything? Does it mean? Yeah, now it's interesting. I didn't think about that yet, but Naaman means, Noam, Noam means uh, pleasant. Yeah, Naaman is a name of pleasant. 
Pleasantness. Pleasant. Was he a pleasant guy? Looks like. After all, yeah, he listened. Okay, number 13. Dama, uh, 15, I'm sorry. Dama returned to the man of God, both he and all his entourage, and came and stood before him. Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in the whole world other than in Israel. Now please accept a gift from your servant. Oh, here, this time, Elisha is welcoming him. Oh, now you can come in. No problem. Now that you're cute. Could be Elisha also didn't want to see him as a leopard. They didn't want to, leopard is an impurity. He didn't want to look at it. Now that he's pure, he welcomed him to his house. They sat down, they said, Lachaim, with all entourage, everybody's happy. He said, what is he saying? He's saying an amazing thing. He says, now I know that, they, the God, that, 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 that there is no other God but in Israel. That's exactly what, what Elisha wanted to accomplish. Uh-huh. And he tells him, take my present, take my... Uh, what he told him, take my gift. Accept, please accept my gi- the gift from, from your servant. From your servant. The strongest man in the Middle East calls himself in front of a Jewish prophet, my, your servant. That's unbelievable what's going on here. So is he actually converting at this point? I mean, he's already been to the Mecca. So. He's not converting. It's interesting. We are not looking for converts. You need to understand. <clears throat> we are looking for that the Gentile world should believe in God. The job, because the moment if he would become a convert, we lost him. And I'm not the Jew. No, what, 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 what good is he doing? If he stays as a, if he stays as a gentile, as a gentile general, he has, he has his unbelievable power. He can inspire many, many others to believe in God. Then, because the job of everyone is a mission. If you're born Jewish, job is to be Jewish. You're born non-Jewish, job is to be non-Jewish. But you have an obligation to believe in God. And your job is to bring other people to believe in God. Then no, he didn't try to make him make convert him. He tried to make him a believer in God and not in idols. That's what he tried to make him, and that's what he did. That here is Elisha's response. Amazing reaction to his offering for, for the gift that he's trying to offer again. Elisha replied, By the living God, before whom I regularly stand in prayer, I cannot accept any gift. Why not? <laughs> Elisha is a yeshiva with 2,000 students. He needs to support them. Here comes a guy. He made for him a miracle. Take a piece. Well, I mean, he gives you money. What do you mean don't take a gift? Why didn't he want to take the gift? He didn't want to make it look like uh, you know, he was doing this for the incentives. Or that even, in some sense, that he even did it. He's just an instrument to doing it. This is true. But there is more to it. What do you say? No, he's that he was an instrument. If it, it's like, it's not me. Why should I take money for it? But the reaction from, the answer from Naaman will really shade light why he didn't want to, to, to take money. What did Naaman say? Naaman said, at least let your servant be given two mule loads of earth from the Holy Land. No, no, you, you skipped. Naaman begged Elisha. Oh, Naaman begged Elisha to take something, but he refused. But he refused, exactly. Naaman said, continue. Naaman said, at least let your servant be given the two mule loads of earth from the Holy Land to build an altar. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but only to God. Oh, then what is happening here? If Naaman would pay, he's paid and done. Good morning. Uh-huh. He's living away, he's, he's walking away. You did me a miracle, I paid, and that's the deal, the deal is done. And he told him, I'm not taking any monetary, monetary uh, compensation. What is he really saying? I want more than that. 
you get a miracle from Hashem, you think you're going to pay the Soviet a thousand dollars? We want more than you, man. Not long ago, was a big uh, um, dinner for Chabad in Paris. It's my brother, therefore I know about it. And to this dinner, they invited a, a rabbi, Adin Steinsaltz. He came to speak there, because he's the brother-in-law of my brother-in-law's father. Our story. <laughs> it's a family, basically. He came, you know, I'm related to at least Everybody. half of the Jewish people. <laughs> then, uh, then he came there, he spoke for four minutes. He spoke in Hebrew, and they translated to France. Four minutes he spoke. It was maybe 2,000 people in the room. He stood up and he said, guys, we don't want your money. We want your neshama. And that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. You don't need your money. You want you. Hashem needs your money. Hashem has more money than us. We want the person. Hashem wants the, the, the person. Um, not, not, not just, not just his, his monetary. It, it, there is a story that we see about um, when, when, uh, when Abraham saved Lot and the people from Sodom, right? And the king of Sodom told Abraham, take all the spoil that you want. But Abraham told them, you know, the king of Sodom told them, give me the people and take the, and take the, and take the money, and take the spoil. But the word, the way it's written in the Bible, give me the soul. Hasidus took it, Hashem is saying, give me the soul, I need you, not your money. It's like many times in a relationship, husband and wife, they say to him, Oh, I'll give you this, I'll give you. I don't need this and this. I need you. And that's what exactly... Adesha says, I need your money. I want you to believe in that. Then because he couldn't pay this off, what is he saying? I'm not believing anymore in the other gods. I'm becoming a believer in God. That's it. But look what he's asking for. What you just read. Who read it? You. Well, what's written there? Give me two loads of what? Dirt. Earth. Of earth from where? From Israel. From where? From where the prophet was standing. He wants dirt from Israel to take to Syria to Damascus and to build from the dirt of Israel an altar to God. You know there is a custom to by a funeral to put some dirt of Israel. Is there any other? source for it beside this in the Bible? Do you remember anywhere else that somebody brings dirt or takes dirt from Israel, the holy dirt? Formation of Adam. He created a person. That got <laughs> Not a good proof. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there is anywhere else. I mm -hmm. think this is the only source for this tradition. Because it's an old tradition. Many people, they will take dirt from Israel and bring it to wherever they be buried to put it under the red or something like this, to be buried with a little bit of dirt of Israel. But as I was learning that, I was thinking, this is the first time I see this concept in the Bible. I, listen, I don't know the whole Bible. Maybe there is another story, maybe there's not. But I don't remember anywhere to the concept of taking dirt from Israel and, and bringing it to the diaspora. Is the concept of putting earth from Israel on the grave uh, the whole resurrection concept, or is it something different? I don't think it's the resurrection. You'll be resurrected no matter where you are. If it's dirt from Israel, or if you live in, if you are, but that's a different story. Here we're talking about taking dirt from Israel to serve God, because it's a holy ground. 
Here it's not just from Israel. The way the commentary says it was the way where Elisha was standing. He says, I want dirt from here. From the dirt that you are standing on. That the dirt that you are standing on, it's like it's written by Moses. God tells Moses when he reveals himself at, Mount, at, the, at the burning bush, right? He tells him, why? Because Admas Kodeshu, the land is holy. The earth is holy. And that was not in Israel. It means wherever there is a real tzaddik, that the dirt that is that the floor that is standing on it is is only is a, is a holy land. But don't the, the dirt we take for for funerals isn't that from Jerusalem? Anywhere in Israel, not Israel, from Jerusalem. Isn't that just to connect you? Isn't that just to connect the the person who died back it's, to Israel? Yeah, but what means connect? Because obviously that we're we finding that taking dirt from Israel means something. I think that's the only place that's written. Then it's true that Naaman said it. But that's alone that it made it to the Bible, it means that the Bible agrees with it. You understand what I'm saying? If the Bible wouldn't think it's an important piece, it wouldn't even put it in. But, it, but the Book of Kings was written, anything that's not important didn't make it. What's made it to the Bible is only things that we can learn from. No matter who said that, it, if it's Naaman or Esau or Jacob, it doesn't make a difference. If it's written in the Torah, it's a message for us. That is, I think that's the only place that's written the concept of taking dirt from Israel to build a altar or to, to do something with it. I never paid attention to it, but as I learned it today, it came to me, to my mind. I will, I, I look for it, I try to see research, I don't see anything written about this concept. Okay, we are in number 18, I think. May your servant please ask Hashem to forgive me, though, uh, though for this one thing. When my master, the king, goes to the temple of Ramban, uh, to bow down there, his bowing uh, courses me to bow down to in the temple of uh, Riman. May uh, Hashem please forgive this servant for this, for bowing down in the temple of Riman. Alicia told him. Okay, that he told him like this. You know, I'm going back to Damascus. I have a king. I'll have to go together with him to his shul <laughs> and to bow down to his idol. Then you should know Hashem for forgive me. I go there, but I don't really mean it. I believe in God. Okay, number 19, Elisha told him. Elisha told him, go in peace. And, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and Naaman traveled away from him some distance. What is going on here? He told him, go in peace. Who else he said was said, go in peace? When Abraham sends Lot. He doesn't say go in peace, no. Lech Beshalom. There is Lech Leshalom and Lech Beshalom. Um, I think it was uh, Yoav ben Tzruya. Avner ben Neir was killed, right, Avner? Avner was killed, right? And before them, I think King David or David or somebody told them, go, go in peace, Lech Beshalom. Huh? Therefore, we... Who told them Lech Beshalom? David, right? David told to, to Avner, go in peace. We learned that one of the Aftoras uh, was one of the Aftoras. I think it was, a, no, maybe not. In any case, there is Lech Leshalom, go in peace. It's you go in peace. You say go be, with peace uh, is, is, is a sign that you, Avner didn't, didn't end up with peace. He, he was killed. He got killed. 
That's what I'm saying. David's general. Exactly, David's general. Joab. Joab. Exactly, exactly. And because and that's why we don't say lech beshalom, we say lech leshalom. <laughs> this word makes this letter makes a big difference. Exactly. Here's the story. Ends nice and fine, clean, beautiful. What does the continue of this story? The continuation of this story. His assistant. Uh... Elisha had an assistant. His name was Gehazi. Not because Elisha was a holy man. It means that his assistant was also a holy man. You know, every holy man has a guy who helps him who is not so holy. Because if not, the holy man will be bombarded by all the, the, by all the people who are trying to take advantage on you, on a tzaddik. A righteous man, if he has, you know, if he has people who take advantage, there is no end to him. I mean, everybody wants him. And the people around, the secretaries have to be not so holy. Because if not, the holy man will fall apart. Then uh, Elisha had a, had a secretary. His name was Gehazi. Gehazi was the head of, uh, the chief of staff. And Gehazi was not so holy. Gehazi, after, he left, after Naaman left, Gehazi went. And he told them, he went after Naaman, and he told them, my master said he wants the money to give it to two students to come. Basically, he changed his mind. And he gave him the money. Lisha is trying to convince the guy to believe in God. And it's not about money. And five minutes later, his secretary runs and says, ah, he changes mind. If Naaman believed that he changed his mind or not, I don't think so. But he gave him money. And Elisha came back. When, when Gehazi came back, Elisha called them and told them, Elisha is a prophet, you know what he did? He said, you took money from Naaman, right? The tzoras of Naaman will go on you. <laughs> and, and Gehazi became a leopard. And he left Elisha. And he became a worker because he was good in running a show. He, was, he became a worker in idol worshiping house. Gehazi, the big Gehazi. Doesn't he uh, lose his share in the world to come, too? Yeah. And then Elisha, the Talmud says that Elisha went to convince him to come back. And he told Elisha, didn't you teach me that somebody who makes other people sin do not have a share in the world to come? Basically, they cannot repent, don't have forgiveness because on your own sin, you can pray, you can ask for forgiveness. But if you make another person sin and you, the guy walked away and he thinks that's okay, then you cannot fix it. You don't even know where to go. Basically, he didn't want to go back. And the Talmud says from there we learn that we can never, should never push away disciples. Not like Elisha did with Gehazi, and not like somebody else did with somebody else, right? Yes. Then, uh, then well, what, what the story, Gehazi was, was even when, when he was by Elisha, not only this story, we had the story we learned the Torah of Chaisoro, uh, Learned after a bit with, with Elisha was reviving that boy that Elisha gave him a, a, a woman a blessing that she'll have a baby boy, and she had the boy. And a few years later, the boy died, and she came to the prophet and she told him, "You have to come. You gave me the boy. It's now you have to take care of him." And Elisha sent Gehazi with his staff, and he told him, "Put the staff on the baby, and it will be revived." And he told him, "But well, don't talk to anybody on the way there. Don't talk to anybody. Don't say hello to anyone." And Gehazi went and told people, you think this stuff can revive people? He didn't believe in it. 
He put the stairs, nothing happened. But Elisha had to come by himself and lay down on the boy and made a miracle. That Gehazi was not from the best guys in town. Not only this, Gehazi used to sit outside of the, of the, of the house of Elisha, and the students used to come and say, is Elisha giving a class? No, he said, no, he's, taking a, he's, taking, he's resting now. He was giving a class. He just basically took people away from learning Torah with Elisha. That Gehazi was not denied. Gehazi was Gehazi. Yeah, but, 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 but Elisha knew that. He's a prophet. He knew that. Sure, but Elisha needs a Gehazi. You need to understand. <laughs> Give an example. Well, Trump's guy who just, you know, yanked the uh, reporter, right? <laughs> That's the classic example. Right give you a better example. <laughs> I'll give you a better example. I don't think you need it. <laughs> I heard, I read it, I mean, I heard it from the, one of the Rebbe's secretaries. The, the Rebbe's have three times a week audiences with people. And every person in a minute or two, three, you have to try and get them out. If you're a nice guy, you cannot stand by the door. You're worthless. You need to... You need to come and tell the guy the time is over because our people are that once the one of the secretaries who were nice says once the Rebbe was the woman was standing in the Rebbe's office and talking and talking and he opens the door, he's still talking. The next time he opens the door, the Rebbe is standing already. The third time he's opened the door, the Rebbe is putting the coat on and he's talking to him. And literally the Rebbe walked out before you understand? <laughs> because she didn't let go. I know of another wo woman, actually, family members, as I'm related to five of the world, and <laughs> she was standing by the Rebbe for two hours. She was sitting by the Rebbe. If the right secretary was there, there were two secretaries. By one secretary, there was no Chochmas. He was out. By the other one, he was a nice guy, and the Rebbe cannot chase people out. But you were going on, and why this, and why this, and why this, and this, and this, and this, you know, people go on, and on, and on, and on, and on. Two hours, she was by the Rebbe's office. Then what I mean to say is, every religion is a Gehazi. But you don't want to be a friend of this Gehazi, I can tell you that. 